Fred Craddock, uh, the renowned preacher, went back to the community in which he was born to visit there, and he stayed with a friend of his, and he attended a church that his friend attended, a small church out in the country, and when he walked in, he was immediately taken back by the beauty of the new stained glass windows which had been placed in that small sanctuary. It was quite astounding. He said that he knew that it was a princely sum that would have been paid out for those windows and he wondered how a little congregation like that could pull it off. He said as he observed even further at the windows, the windows had been given with memorial plaques and the names of individuals were on each of the plaques at the bottoms of the windows and he didn't know any of the names. And so he asked his friend, who are these? Are these new people that have come since I left this community? And the friend looked at him and he said, well, let me tell you about these windows. He said, there was a church in St. Louis that had ordered windows for their sanctuary from Italy. They ordered these windows. And when they arrived, the windows would not fit their sanctuary. And we happened to notice that these windows were being advertised for sale at a pittance, and we could not help ourselves. We had to buy these windows. And he said, we have installed them. And, and Fred said, but the names on the windows, you decided to leave those in place. And he said, well, it's interesting that you should ask. He said, because that was a specific conversation in our administrative board meeting. He said, we came to the decision that it was good for us in our little church to realize that there are some Christians out there beside ourselves. And so we left the names intact. It's an interesting thought that a church would claim the larger community beyond itself because it is frankly countercultural. One of the great criticisms of the church these days is that we have such a limited world view. Why, even within individual congregations, we find that some congregations are not willing to look down the street and really embrace the fact that there are other Christians that are meeting in the same community. And yet the great harm here is not simply to that congregation or the other congregations in close proximity to it, but there is damage done to the, the faith as a whole because there are persons that look at the church and criticize it 
because it lives in such a small sphere. It does not see the world around it. There is a lack of understanding and influence in the world of those persons who may worship differently or act differently, speak differently than we do ourselves. It is important, therefore, that you and I get this right here at Pittman Park. We may not be able to affect how others, even in our own faith, will be stirred to understand the wideness of God's mercy. But you and I can be a witness to this in the way in which we communicate. We get it wrong. We get it wrong by excluding others from either our own community or the community of God's loving embrace. While we may not use the word hate, others use it of us. Now, you may be saying people say that people in Pittman Park hate others. I'm not saying that. I am saying that we are the inheritors of the reputation of others that call themselves Christians that have such hateful attitudes. I saw a bumper sticker just a few days ago that simply said, haters hate. That does, that's sort of a no-brainer, right? But th <laughs> think about that for just a minute, though. Think about that. What the implication is, the implication is that, that hating just doesn't happen by itself. There is somebody behind that, right? And so the world around us in which we live is asking the question, okay, who is behind it? Well, the, the church is behind it. If there is somebody that is hateful in their attitude, that is a representative of the church of Christ in some way, then that must be how all of them are. You and I have to realize that much damage has been done. Damage that has implied that God is very exclusivist in the way in which he looks at the world, and particularly those that are quote-unquote saved and those that are not. I ask you the question again, how wide, how wide, how wide is God's mercy? How wide is God's mercy? I love the paintings of Norman Rockwell. I still find myself going back down memory lane and remembering the many scenes that he painted. Oh, he captured Americana better than any artist, I suppose, that's ever lived. I don't know if you have the same fondness for him as I, but I can't help but think of that little girl who's in the doctor's office, and the doctor is there with her when she holds up her doll, and the doctor has placed his stethoscope to the doll's chest, not the girl's chest, but he is playing along with her. I just love that stuff. And do you remember the painting that Norman Rockwell 
put on canvas of the boys that had their clothes tucked up under their arms and they are running for as, as if their lives have caught on fire. But over their shoulders, you can see, you can see that, that sign that says, no swimming. And you know that they have been in a pond where they should not have been. Can you remember that painting by Norman Rockwell of the grandmother and child that are in the small cafe and they're seated at this table? Their heads are tilted in prayer as they lean in toward each other. And then there are, there are two ruffians of some sort that are over to the side that are just looking, just looking at the mystery of what's going on that they would be giving thanks over this little meal and this little cafe. They are puzzled by what's going on. Uh, it, his painting captured, captured the soul of America. And to tell you the truth, what it was doing was planting a memory within us of what it means to be citizens of the United States. I really believe that. I really believe that he was coaching us in what it means to be a citizen of this great nation. But one of the things that is interesting particularly is that he sure painted a lot of Caucasian folk. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that especially early on in his paintings that nearly every single individual in his paintings was white. I don't know if you were aware that Norman Rockwell went through this soul searching in the 1950s and 1960s, particularly where his art began to change and where you began to see him take up concern even over civil rights issues. Do you remember a painting that he did about this precious little black girl who was headed to school? She was surrounded on four corners there as she walked down the street by U.S. Marshals who were escorting her. And she was with books in hand showing her determination and pride to go to school where she might not be wanted and there plastered on the brick wall, just having missed her, is a tomato that had splattered itself. You remember that painting? It was transformative for me when I saw it. It brought to me the reality, asking the question, who are we? as citizens of this great nation. Two other paintings come to mind that Norman Rockwell shared. One was entitled Freedom of Worship, in which the few persons that were in the frame of that painting were lifting their heads in reverence and their hands were folded in prayer. It was obvious that there were persons that were persons like perhaps you and I in that painting. But if you look closely, 
the one who is closest to you in proximity in that painting, not at the center of the painting, but the one that is closest to you, is actually Muslim as he lifts his head in prayer. Norman Rockwell was speaking to us and trying to get the attention of this nation. Another that he painted is simply entitled The Golden Rule. And I dare say that in that painting, every nationality on the face of this planet is represented. He sought to do it that way. And there in the very center of the painting, he put the words, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I tell you, we need folk like Norman Rockwell this day to remind us what it means to be citizens of these great United States. Even more so do we need persons to remind us what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ and to be filled with the love that Christ had for all creation, to be filled with this deep sense of love for all humanity. Have we lost that? Some people would say, yeah, you lost it a while back. Haters hate. How can we reclaim it? Certainly there are scripture passages that may be lend themselves to a very exclusivist understanding of what God is up to, but I am here to tell you that the only way that you can get to a real exclusivist understanding of what God is up to is by your misunderstandings as a very finite human being. The scripture that we have before us is filled to overflowing with the understanding that Jesus loves all creation. That he is against evil, but he loves all peoples. Since the very birth of the church, I thank God that there has been a prevailing theology that has focused on the mercy and the grace of God. Mark chapter 9, verse 40. Whoever is not against us is for us. Well, that's a new way of thinking, isn't it? We're a little more suspicious than that. Those weren't my words. Those were Jesus's words there. John 3, verse 17, not verse 16, even though verse 16 is fantastic. Verse 17, indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And in the 12th chapter of that same gospel, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people, all people to myself. 
This is good food for thought, friends. In fact, if we're not thinking in this way, we are not even doing diligence to those who have given their lives to the building of this church in which we meet. John Wesley wrote these words. I believe the merciful God regards the lives and tempers of men more than their ideas. I believe he respects the goodness of the heart rather than the clearness of the head. And that if the heart of a man be filled with the humble, gentle, patient love of God and man, God will not cast him into everlasting fire. Now, that was the founder of our denomination who wrote those words. How many people are you casting into hell with your attitudes? By our judgment, we do that very thing. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, agnostic turned Christian, put it this way. Of course, it should be pointed out that though all salvation is through Jesus, we need not conclude that he cannot save those who have not explicitly accepted him in this life. Now, that bears thinking about, doesn't it? Interesting. One more. And this one is from Billy Graham who was on a journey in his life and came to a different understanding later in his ministry than he had earlier in his ministry. These are the words of Billy Graham. I think that everybody that loves Christ knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not. They're members of the body of Christ. Whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world, or the Christian world, or the non-believing world. They are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. Now, don't look at me. I didn't say that. Billy Graham said that, okay? If you've got a problem, you contact Billy Graham on this issue, okay? Contact Billy Graham on this issue. These are... These are unbelievably foundational thoughts that you and I have let stray to the side somehow. This is at the very core of who we are as God's people. What do we do? What do we do? Considering that we follow this God who is so, so loving We cannot get past it. He is so loving beyond our wildest imaginings. What do we do? What can we do by our witness? And when Peter wrote his letter, this apostle wrote his letter to be circulated among the churches in what is now modern-day Turkey, he was casting his thoughts and his hopes and his prayers into the midst of this small community of people who were dealing with all kinds of opposition. 
In fact, they were dealing daily with the hostility of being in a non-Christian environment. People that did not understand the church, did not like the church, or certainly not love the church. In fact, they they were constantly, these early Christians, were suffering at the hands of those who wished to do them harm. And so what was his word into this community? Was it, pull yourself together, channel your anger? Was that the word that he gave to them? No. These words are so telling. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet... Do it with gentleness and reverence. Boy, that's a way to handle people that are your enemies, isn't it? But that brings me back around to the fact that somebody else said something about this earlier on. Do you remember Jesus is saying, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you. You and I are called to embrace the world in all of its diversity. You may not agree with all of the diversity that you see. In fact, you will not. But you are called by Christ to love the world as God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son. You and I call ourselves by his name. We must be about his work. I've shared with some of you that um, a sad chapter in the life of our family right now is my mother's Alzheimer's story and the fact that, that every day that we see her, every time we get a chance to see her, she has made one step further into her dementia. Uh, when I saw my mother about a week and a half ago, she didn't know me. She didn't know my name, but I don't think she actually knew me. I'm hoping that this week, when I see her again, that that will have just been an episode and that she will know me. But she did not know me. But that's okay. I'm, I'm all right with this because I know her. <laughs> and I can know enough for the both of us when it comes to this relationship. And I know what she has meant to me for lo these many years. Some 10 years ago, she came bearing a gift. It was cross-stitch calligraphy, simply words on this piece of fabric that she had stitched there but oh, the power of those words, they were by St. Francis, and they were scathing, frankly, to a pastor, to a preacher. It said on this framed piece of art that she had put together, it said, preach the gospel at all times, 
Use the words if necessary. You don't tell preachers that. But she did. And she reminded me, she reminded me of how very critical it is to make sure that we are a people who represent Christ well in the things that we do. The Apostle Paul encouraged people to remember that they were called to be of Christ. The Apostle Paul in the Second Corinthians, the letter to the church at Corinth, Second Corinthians chapter 5, put it this way. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you consider yourself a reconciler? Are you, are you more of a divider kind of person? Do you sort of pitch people in one camp or the other? Do you throw yourself in one camp? Or do you see yourself as being primarily motivated by the love of God to love every person, every soul that you come in contact with? Christ expects us to love the world. That's the reason that he came. We're going to sing our final hymn, and you'll find it on page 557 in your hymnal. I have wondered to myself if John Wesley might have known this. It's possible that he didn't. It was written only six years before he died. But I can tell you this, that if he did know it, he loved this hymn. Would you stand and sing it with me? I want to encourage you to pray this hymn as you sing it this morning.